0: Welcome to the SUSS series of podcasts that shares questions and dives into all things personal development because learning never stops, especially after graduation. This series will share insights, ideas and advice on shaping ourselves to prepare for a future of uncertainties.
1: I was excited to sit with Associate Professor Susan Shuyun, Head of Translation and Interpretation at SUSS School of Humanities and Behavioral Sciences, and Lin yo Yi, TV presenter, content curator and media coach, to find out how communication could change the world for the better. The BA in Translation and Interpretation is celebrating its 15th anniversary in 2022 and yo is an alumni and also one of the top students of that badge. So I begin by asking them how the landscape of communication has shifted in the past decade, especially in the light of the global pandemic. Susan, can you just share what's been happening or how the global landscape has shifted?
2: In the past decade, Digital transformation has changed the way we communicate in every sphere of our life, family, religion, education, work and politics. The global pandemic has accelerated such changes.
1: Do you have any personal experiences that you want to share, Susan?
2: Yes, of course. I remember my university days when I looked forward to receiving weekly letters from my parents. Later, in the 1990s, I could only afford one international call a week. Since the start of 21st century, email and internet becomes the most common forms of communication. And today, we can communicate at any time using WeChat, WhatsApp or Skype. In the business world, people meet and communicate online more often than before due to the pandemic. Having online meetings instead of meeting face-to-face make it very easy for us to communicate with someone who speaks a different language and lives in a foreign country. As such, cross-cultural and cross-linguistic communication becomes more important than ever before in this global pandemic.
1: Yui, what about yourself? Would you be able to encapsulate and share with us what this change meant?
0: Yeah, like what Susan mentioned, weekly letters, overseas phone call. It's really fascinating when we think about all the changes that we have been through in the past decade. The iPhone came out in 2007. I think I got my first iPhone the year after when I started working for Good Morning Singapore, a media corp, oh, while well, I was doing my translation interpretation degree under Susan. And since then, I have been hooked on Bejeweled, if any of us still remember that. And I couldn't stop sharing my score on Facebook. And since then, there was Instagram, WhatsApp, WeChat, Candy Crush, Pokemon Gold. And we have come a really long way since then. Now, these days, we are having business meetings and even signing contracts on our phone even conducting cross-regional presentation workshop with the help of simultaneous translation. So in this day and age, we are so much more connected, but also at the same time, exposed to a much bigger audience. Communication is now more immediate than ever. But the question is, are we ready to speak to the world?
1: Mm -hmm. I really love how you ended with, now that we have realized this is the change, what are we going to do with that? And I just wanted to go back to something that Susan said that I picked out, on cross-cultural communication. Susan, you're definitely an expert in that field. Can you just share a bit deeper for us to understand what does that mean?
2: As we all know that a word can have very different meanings in different contexts, let alone in different cultures. When a company intends to market a product or service in a new international market, it is important for it to carry out thorough market research on the culture, on the custom and languages of that market. A small mistake such as a wrong choice of words in the brand name could trigger a PR nightmare or cost a significant market share. Google Translate, for example, maybe be at one's fingertips when we want to understand a foreign language, but it does not empower us to speak the right language in a given context. According to American cross-cultural researcher Edward Hall, cross-cultural communication has more to do with releasing the right responses than with conveying the messages. In other words, one must know what to speak, how to speak and when to speak to avoid misinterpretation. It is one thing, for example, to speak Mandarin fluently. It is another thing to get the tone right with the recipients who come from very different cultures from you, from the one that you came from.
1: So I really want to ask Yo-Yi as well, since you're bilingual, (laughs) you're known for your works in the bilingual field. What are some of the experiences when it comes to cross-cultural communication? Because we understand that, yes, all of us are more connected now. Communication is becoming more immediate. But what are some of the pitfalls that you're noticing that arises because of these cross-cultural communication?
0: Well, like what Susan has mentioned, even though I did spend my childhood in Taiwan, a couple of years ago, when I was traveling there, I think that was my first time back to Taiwan after being away for so long. I was having trouble ordering breakfast at a local breakfast store because I couldn't understand them, and they couldn't understand me. I was like, "But I want that pancake." And they were like, "Oh, do you want this pancake or that pancake?" With the you know, it happened in Mandarin. I was like, "Huh? Isn't that just a pancake?" <laughs> But okay, I do want to bring up a more recent example. I'm sure we all remember Squid Game, Mm -hmm. super popular Korean show on Netflix, global success, but it has come under fire for not matching up to the dialogue. I'm talking about the English subtitle. I see. Mm.
1: So what was the differences?
0: Being an addict to Korean drama myself, I was able to pick out a few things, but this is one that really stood out for me. It was the address term, the honorifics. I'm sure we all remember Ali, the Pakistani immigrant in the show. Yes. So there is this scene of Ali with Sang Sangwoo, the stockbroker. Mm-hmm. Ali addressed Sang Sangwoo as Sajangnim, meaning president of a company. And this is a term that can be extended to so many different situations. You can use it to address someone who's probably just wearing a suit or someone who is older than you. However, it was translated as Sir. Because obviously there's no such equivalent in English. However, the word sir doesn't quite carry the same connotation as any Korean drama fan out there would mm-hmm. know. So how did Song Wu reply him? Song Wu said, Call me Hyung meaning call me big brother. Hyung, that's big brother. So what does that mean? It means that at this point they have formed this somewhat brotherly like relationship. And it does mean that hey, I'm your big brother now. I am gonna take care of you. Does anyone remember what the English translation was? No, I don't recall. It says, call me Sang-woo, meaning call me by my first name, that we are now on first name basis. So again, the meaning that it carries is very different from a brotherly bond to just friends on a first name basis. So this is why, at the marble scene, do you remember how Ali was betrayed by him? Mm-hmm. Right before Ali realized that he was betrayed, he was calling out to Sang Woo, like Sang Woo Hyung, Sang Woo Hyung, where are you? And I think it's only for audience who could understand the meaning of Hyung to experience that heartbreak when Ali realized that he was being betrayed by someone whom he sees as a big brother, not just by a friend on a first name basis with.
1: You really brought out this very important point that all these cultural intricacies, a lot of it is lost in translation. Mm -hmm. A lot of it cannot just be translated via Google Translate like what Susan was saying or seen as using all these digital tools because we lose so much of these cultural interpretation and the deeper meaning behind languages itself. So you mentioned a lot about the BA program from SUSS, so I also want to just take a step from the social and modern context or the cultural context and look at it from a research and theoretical standpoint. Maybe this goes to Susan first, since you're the (laughs) Associate Professor of the course. Why do you think this happens? Can you help us break down why it is difficult for us to bridge this cross-cultural communication?
2: Before I go to the theoretical informations about this cultural communication, Yui has just mentioned about her experience in Taiwan, and I would like to also share some interesting examples that are unique to Singapore as well as in Taiwan. For example, some terms are just very unique. Like Singaporean Chinese may understand the meaning of Wei Sai Jie, which is the transliteration of Visa Day, but if you go to other Chinese-speaking communities and you mention Wei Sai Jie, nobody. Will would understand it. Because in their culture, or in most Chinese-speaking communities, it is known as yufujie, or fuhdanri. And another example is that Ling, which is a euphemism for senior citizens, is unique to Singapore. People from different Chinese regions may not quite understand what it means. If someone from Taiwan mentioned to you that yin Zhu to a Singaporean Chinese, the person would mistaken it to refer to those who dye their hair in grey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Don't actually in zhu. <laughs> Uh, really means the same as learning. I can just imagine
1: what other, this kind of cultural intricacies that gets lost in translation in all other languages as well.
2: You see, when the company wants to launch a product, or service in a new market, they have to do thorough research into that market by understanding its culture, custom, as well as the thinking style. In our field, it's called localization effort. So you need to localize your products to suit that particular market. And let's just look at examples of companies localization effort when they try to enter the Chinese market. You will see how a Chinese name can make or break your launch into that market. IKEA is a classic example of good localization strategy. Its Chinese name Ya means suitable or friendly for a home or family. So it is well received by Chinese consumers. In contrast, American electrical appliance retail giant Best Buy suffered from its poor localization effort when it opens its stores in China. Its Chinese name, transliterated into Bai Si Mai, not only lacks the warmth and the good feelings, but also seems to remind consumers that you must think a hundred times before buying that product. <laughs> So if we look at local companies which are quite successful in the overseas market, you will note that the right brand name could have contributed to their success in one way or another. For example, Tiger Beer may have benefited from the positive associations of tiger in both Eastern and Western cultures. By contrast, a brand that contains the word dragon may find it harder to venture into the Western market than into the Eastern market. Why? Because Chinese people views dragon as a symbol of strength or power but westerners tends to demonize it
0: oh i remember something about colors what it represents in different cultures when i was in your class yeah (laughs) Yeah, there's something about how yellow is associated with royalty in asian chinese Mm -hmm. and what's the color for western in the western culture For royalty was a purple. Purple, yes. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. I see. So even all these cannot be translated. It's
1: really things that if you do not have deep context of that particular culture or the people, the target audience that you're communicating with, it's so easy to be misunderstood or you come across as rude or not as warm. So I really want to ask Susan first, from a research and theoretical standpoint, why do you think this happens? From an academia point of view,
2: can you help break down why is it difficult? As you can see, culture is much more complex than we often thought. It is the accumulation of art, language, literature, as well as human reflections on all those relevant activities. And culture influences people's abilities to decide what is good, what is true, what is beautiful and what is efficient. It is deeply rooted and interconnected with our sense of identity and self-understanding. One helpful way to understand culture is to visualize an onion. The first person who used this visualization is Professor Geert Hofstad. Onion, you know that it has many layers. Mm -hmm. On the outer layer of the onion are the symbols... Such as food, logos, or colors. And the second layer of the onion or the culture are the heroes, including the real life ones like CEOs, government leaders, athletes, and the celebrities, even yo <laughs> <laughs> um, and fictional heroes like Spider Man, Kung Fu Panda. So the next layers consist of rituals such as festivals, celebrations, meetings, sports games, and even karaoke. So the core, located in the core of the culture, stands for the value and assumptions of a culture, such as freedom, speech, gender, and racial equality. While those other things in the outer layers may change over time and constantly, values, the core of the culture, remains largely unchanged and are transmitted by the environment in which we grow up. So, according to Hofstede, when things go well, we do not really have issues with culture or cultural differences. But when things go wrong, we may feel uncomfortable or even threatened. And this is when we start to become judgmental. We have the tendency to go back to the basic, the value we acquire since young. And that's where conflicts arise and resentment harbored.
1: Mm -hmm. You what about yourself? You work with a lot of the audience as well in helping them bridge communications or sharpen the way they communicate. Mm -hmm. Can you break down why it is difficult in your own experiences
0: and context? I think it's really interesting when we talk about not just the cultural differences, but even when we speak the same language, our body language itself can give out very different cues. And perhaps we can even call it energy to the people you're talking to. I've once spoken with someone who just gave a speech in India. So the speech happened in English. Everyone could understand perfectly, but he came back feeling really defeated because he couldn't understand why he didn't get the response he was expecting from the crowd. So I asked him, what happened? And he was like, no, it just didn't feel right. He couldn't quite explain why, but only until we had everything broken down and analyzed the entire situation when we realized that it was because even though they could communicate perfectly in English, the body language was different. In India, they have a very specific set of body language that can be unfamiliar to foreigners, such as this gentleman I spoke with. So he thought the speech wasn't well received, when in fact, it was only because he couldn't understand the nonverbal cue he was getting back from the audience. I see.
1: Susan, what's your take on this, especially when we are communicating the same
0: language,
1: but
2: with people that is from different culture? As we just shared, cultures are very complex phenomena of the human history. In fact, there are many ways of looking at culture. One way is to compare it to a scale of high and low context. As we mentioned, context is very important. According to Edward Hall, in a high context culture, communication is carried by implicit message in which meaning is not encoded into words, but supplied by non-verbal cues in the context. So in a cross-cultural communication, in a high context culture, the person himself is the communication. It takes long for you to get to know the person so that you can build the relationship in order to communicate well. Whereas in the low context culture, communication is carried by explicit verbally expressed messages. So the aim of the low context culture is to really give and receive information so as to build the backgrounds as well as the trust. So if you want to communicate with someone from the high-context culture, it is very important for you to build the relationship first. And those typical high-context cultures include India, Japanese, Arabs, and Chinese. And for low-context culture, typical countries are Americans, Germans, Scandinavians, and other Northern Europeans. We must remember to share detailed information, give systematic answers in order to kind of build that trust. There's another way to look at East and West differences is to compare the sociological structure of that society. You know that there's a difference between collectivism and individualism. It goes back to the basic of the way people think, uh, you know. And that kind of thinking is also, again, shaped by the culture. And so we know that there's an individualistic culture versus the collectivism culture. So collectivist culture emphasizes the importance of the community, while individualism focuses on the rights of the individuals. In the individual culture, people capitalize on the non-relational cognition that is generally known as intelligence. Whereas in the cognitive culture, everything you do is rooted in the relational cognition. So people growing up in this collectivist culture tends to favor likeness or similarities, so stronger ties tends to be formed among similar others. As the saying goes, birds of the same feather flock together. Ah,物以类聚. Uh, And on the other hand, those who come from individualistic cultures strive to be different. So in order for you to be different, you need to be creative. So if you want to communicate someone from the individualistic culture, it's okay for you to agree to disagree. But if you want to build relationship with people from collectivism, you should always show that you have common interests. You start with something that you have, you are always in common. You agree on the basis of common interest. So that's why there's a lot of sensitivity, a subtleness in the cross-cultural communication that people really build. With that close understanding, it's easier for you to really know that oh there are people who are different from you and you need to adapt. Mm -hmm. the way they communicate in order to cross that bridge barrier.
0: You've been listening to the SUSS series of podcasts. The next part of this episode will be available at suss.edu.sg slash podcast. Stay tuned.